I am writing this under an appreciable mental strain, since by tonight I shall be no more. Penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer, and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid streets below. Sounds a lot like someone who just witnessed the atrocities that some filmmakers have committed to the work of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing the 2001 adaptation of Dagon, written by Dennis Paoli and directed by Stuart Gordon. Um, these two work together an awful lot, not, not just at Lovecraft adaptations, I think. Yeah, like I think they also did dolls together. Mm. Um, like Pioli, he um, I don't know if he still is, but he was teaching either at NYU Film School or like one of the schools in New York. And like I got to go to one of the um, Miskatonic um, like uh, classes that oh. a friend of mine helps um, put out. Um, like they do like three or four every like quote unquote semester. Mm-hmm. So like. One year, it was, like, Dennis Pioli talking about, like, Lovecraft horror and, like, just the way he would get into writing and stuff. And, like, Jack Ketchum, who, great great horror writer, talking about his books and his adaptations and stuff. Like, what's cool is, like, those things you get other people, like, would just show up. Like, um, the guy who runs Shudder, Sam Zimmerman, would always be at those things talking. Like, he, he would, like, get up. Um, who else? Um, Larry Fessenden. Oh man, okay. Love, I love Fessenden. Yeah. He's like that guy is like the coolest, weirdest guy ever, and I love it. <laughs> like he doesn't care, and like it was cool because like my friend Joe, he helps run Yellow Veil Pictures, mm-hmm. which actually put out a bunch of films so far. One of one, one of which that if I put out a top ten would have been like one or two of the year, which was Lose, okay, which is on Shutter right now. Which I would say. When, when one day if you have like 72 minutes to, to spare it's like again it's a foreign film but i know you can watch those you're not like most people i talk to you mean i gotta read <laughs> yeah you, yeah you gotta read a little bit okay um i would say if you watch it i have a, it, it feels very lovecraftian and okay. that's all i'm gonna say about it it's a cool weird film but yeah paoli is like much more than just lovecraft but like they've worked a lot together he's and same thing with um, Yuzna, like that whole those those trio mm-hmm. interchangeable. Like when Yuzna started getting into directing, then like because he kind of was like the you know for better or worse. I mean I love Society, and then other other um, um, Yuzna films are like fun but not the best. Like uh, his uh, I don't know if you call it a superhero movie, but it's a comic book movie Faust. Okay, like up the damn I don't know it's. It's better than the comic book. I'll, I'll say that much. But the, the comic book was one of those ones where everything was just, like, super, like, violent and, like, sexual. Like, women with big boobs. Like, the the, the, the mid to late 90s when every comic book was, like, Liefeld. Okay. Strong, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Body, bodies that were contorted to ways you're like, <laughs> come on, nobody looks like that. that. That was his comic book. I'll say that. The movie was better, but that's not saying much. I don't know if Paoli... But then again, they also worked on um, one that we'll probably cover too, uh, Necronomicon, which oh, yeah. is the anthology, which has Stuart, you know, um, um, Jeffrey Combs in it. Yeah, as as Lovecraft. So <laughs> right, right, of course, only man to play Lovecraft and Poe, I think. <laughs> I, I, I I'm sure there's some 
underground theater yes. production out there where it's been a, yeah but but uh but yeah i think he's the only uh relatively recognizable actor that can claim those two things yeah yes <laughs> um dagon is similar to the film cthulhu that we covered earlier at least in the sense of um it has very little to do with the let me let me revise this comment before yeah. i even finish it um right. it's it's primarily based off of uh the shadow over innsmouth versus the actual story dagon so cthulhu was kind of an adaptation of that versus the call of cthulhu and dagon the 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 deity dagon is a a an important figure or deity in this one but the the plot uh the structure the character arc is all very similar to the shadow over innsmouth making this i think maybe the third film second or third film that we've done which which uh which covers the shadow over innsmouth which is why i started this episode with a quote from the actual uh, short Dagon instead of Shadow Over Innsmouth. But. Right. Um, and uh, similar to From Beyond, this was a foreign production. This is all filmed entirely in Spanish, uh, so uh, a lot of Spanish financing comes from it, which uh, Yesna would return to Spain for Beyond Reanimator years later, as as we've uh, already covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, not, let's not speak more about that. Let's, <laughs> on this. <laughs> uh, but James, let me put you on the spot for a little bit, because we, we talked a little bit about... Um, uh, off mic, uh, texting back and forth about like Spanish uh, horror horror film productions, which uh, I'm not really familiar with um, with Spanish horror films. As I said to you, the only two I've really ever seen are Tombs of the Blind Dead and um, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. Um, the latter of which I think would be really cool if someone decided to remake that with a little bit of larger budget. But like, but you've, oh yeah, definitely. But you've seen like a lot of stuff. Like, is there sort of a, a characteristic of like Spanish horror film which separates it from Jalo or anything else, or is it really just kind of you know um, it's just horror no. from spain it, no it's a good question but no i mean you got to think certain certain filmmakers are from there that made their you know their star like someone like Guillermo del Toro the devil's backbone chronos and pan's labyrinth are like to me this great trilogy of just this these spanish horror films that can work for everybody mm-hmm. but also have that just underlying theme of just like dread and stuff, which makes sense because Del Toro is also a fan of Lovecraft. Mm, yep. um, but then you have stuff like, you know, for some reason when we were talking the other day, I, I always put the Coffin Joe films in Spain, but no, he's Brazilian. So okay. technically not, but he, you know, fr- growing up in Brazil, probably a lot, lot they probably lot, watched a lot of Spanish horror, but, you know, even films like recently, you have like the, um, from 2001, The Others, oh, yeah. Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's technically a Spanish horror film, That's technically. True. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of times, um, Del Toro would produce, like, Mama, which was all right. You know, nothing. Um, the Orphanage, which is pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, but then stuff like you said, like The Tombs of the Blind Dead, which was basically, I think it's like a four-part series. Like, you had, like, The yeah. Return of the Blind Dead. You had The Ghost Galleon. <laughs> All these, the, which I love, like that idea of like these zombies of like the Knights Templar. Like that's just a cool idea. Yeah. Like do it now. Like I, th- I actually would like to see a film now with that aesthetic. But then, one of my favorite what the fuck films of all time is Pieces. Okay. Um, it, it has the two greatest taglines ever for any movie. It's called Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> which, okay, I don't know what it is, but I, that's I, great. Yeah. What What do I think it is? I don't know. But if you hear pieces, you go, oh, God, what the hell is that? Yep. So it's like it makes you go, what the hell am I going to watch? And then the other one is you don't, you don't need to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. <laughs> so so it's like one of those things. Like, But then again, like um, 
not the biggest fan. I like some of the films that he did, but like um, Jess Franco was okay. a prolific filmmaker, a Spanish filmmaker. But I'm, when I talk about prolific, he um, I'm trying to remember. He he died a few years ago, but he made, I believe, like 300 films or something like Holy that. Shit. Like yeah, yeah, it's so many. Like he from yeah, he died in 2013 actually. But and like he made a lot of like usually they were either softcore or even almost hardcore porn some of them okay and like he when he discovered his like leading lady like lena romay who went on to they actually got married okay. and together till he died she was always like the star of like all his films but like then you have like um stuff like veronica which is a new a new film that's on netflix that actually i would say really good same thing with sleep tight was also a really good like Spanish horror film with like actually less blood and gore than most, but it's all about the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then the um, the one it's been re remade here, but the Spanish ones are the best are direct films. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, those are fantastic. And then one that everyone tells me to watch, and it's on Shutter, which I might have to go for, is that um, Tigers Are Not Afraid. I saw that one last year. It's a uh, yeah, okay. It it owes a lot to early Del Toro, especially like yeah, The Devil's Backbone. Like, okay. Like it's it's got supernatural stuff, but it, it's primarily focused on human drama, especially uh, children. Um, and so it's you're you're more likely to cry than be scared when you're watching that movie. Oh God. Okay. Then I yeah, you have to be in a, a mood for that. Then okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it, if you're having a good day, maybe put it aside. Uh, but it's it's very good. Uh, I the last time I saw Sam Zimmerman. I mm -hmm. was like, "Hey, congratulations on Shutter picking this up!" And he was so happy that they got that. Like he had been trying, they'd been trying to secure that movie wow. for a long time. Before we go on, there's one uh, one other Spanish filmmaker I just want people to check out, and okay. I think he's one that people sleep on. Mm -hmm. Is uh, Alex Diaglesia. He's a guy. Um, his films are just batshit insane. Like, <laughs> like, like he made a film a few years ago, like in 2010, called The Last Circus, which I got to see at. Um, Fantastic Fest back in the day. Okay, I'm gonna look it's it about up. it's about a group of killer like not killer clowns, but like they are killer clowns, but it's not killer clowns from out of space. They're legit clowns that kill people. Okay, um, but he's also made films like The Day of the Beast, uh -huh. and his stuff is very, again, like like you said, I don't know if it'll work for you always because it's very horror comedy. Mm. Like he, but he's always been like that too, like kind of like Stuart Gordon where. But I think his stuff would work better because it's that, I guess because it's Spanish humor, it's almost like so, it's kind of like how Pedro Almodovar will throw in humor in some of his serious films. You're like, whoa. But I think it works. And again, this little group of people, they all, they're all friends. Like Pedro Almodovar produces debut feature and like, you know, all this like crazy stuff. And like, you know, like he, you know, basically I think he's very slept on. Like you, you. I think you check check out a few of his films. Like his first film, Action Mutante or Mutant Action. It's just a weird shit. Like he's out there, and I kind of appreciate that he's doing his own thing. And yeah, it's a guy I love, but but he loves the comedy, like this weird, bizarre, weird shit. You know, it's just a, he's a weird guy, but I I love him. You know? <laughs> All right, I'll I'll be sure I'll be sure to put a pin in him. But it's it's <laughs> it's good you brought it back to that because another thing that I was as you were talking I was thinking of was. It seems like when it comes to horror from some of these countries, whether it be Spain or Mexico, um, yeah. the 
influence of or the remnants of sort of a uh the Catholic Church influence, especially when it comes to Del Toro. Mm. Um yes. which uh and, and you know, Tombs of the Blind Dead, we talked about it, like it's it's basically night uh zombie knights templar. Um yeah. which is rooted in, in, in the history of, of that. And then because uh, in this one, it sort of makes it, it makes some sense too. When because basically you have a story of a town where the Christian religion was replaced with something else. Um, yes, and, and just that idea of how of how it leaves a leaves a mark or leaves a stain. Um, I, I believe Del Toro does not consider himself a religious person anymore, but you certainly see the influence of right. it in stuff like The Devil's Backbone, in Hellboy, um, in, oh. in in a lot of the stuff he does. Yeah, definitely, like <clears throat> like any good like, and it's funny because. Technically, Dagon, even though it's a Spanish production, it's not a... I wouldn't call it a Spanish horror film because of the fact where... Yeah. Even though most of the cast are Spanish, most of the people behind the scenes, it still has that Stuart Gordon feel, which is... It makes it feel weirder. Like, it's it's almost like... You're watching this film, you go, wait... It's almost like someone from a different country tried to be Stuart Gordon. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I mean, but, like, it has that weird humor, but it, but the some cool parts, but then you're like, okay, where's this going? And I think like the good thing and the bad thing about this film is like, it's trying to do in a way more, like it's trying to open the world of Lovecraft more. Like basically it's much bigger than in reanimated. It's just this little, ta- you know, like Miskatonic university and, and like, it's just there. Yeah. And like from beyond, it's just at that mansion and it could get bigger, but ultimately it's not, but this one, it's like this whole town, but there's more underneath, and it's it's waiting to maybe spread. But again, this is one of the ones that ends in a weird way on a happy note. But we'll get to that. I, you know, you know what I mean. But like, yeah, this one, yeah, I mean, this one, uh, certainly of of a lot of the ones that we've covered, and certainly when it comes to the Stuart Gordon stuff, a lot of location shooting in this one. Yes, and yes. I gotta I gotta give credit to whoever did the location scouting because. I mean, in Shadow Over Innsmouth, Lovecraft grows into de- uh, grows goes into great detail describing yeah. a lot of the decaying architecture, and it is a lot of stuff which is very uh, specific to New England or uh, England that kind of architecture. This one is clearly not, is clearly not New England. It, it is it's a it's a Spanish town that they're shooting in, but the town has such a perfect look of an old decrepit seaside village uh, where oh, like, yeah. where it's, it's finer great. its finer days are have been are well behind it, and like. And it's very eerie, and especially shooting the film entirely on handheld has a, a good effect where, like, it feels unsettled and kind of claustrophobic. But even, even just like when they're on the boat and they're looking through the yeah. binoculars, and you just kind of see those those zoom oh. shots of like this town they're panning across, like it's it's got an eerie feel to it. Like you do get the sense of, is this a ghost town? Like what's what's going on with this place? Well, I, well, I kind of like that where, you know, the whole premise of this is. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't like he's rich. I, I don't know. It's a weird thing, but like they're rich now, whatever. But so they're on vacation in, and, and I, I'm glad they say, oh, you know, España. They say Spain, so you already, okay, it's Spain. Like it's not a trying to be anything else. It's not, that's fine. It, like, no, I don't mind a change of like scenery if it makes sense budget wise or aesthetic wise. And I think both work, like you said. When he showed that pan of like the town, he's like trying to find anybody. Like when he sh- he shoots the the flare, mm-hmm. there's nobody. There's nobody around at all, like at all. And it's like that's actually creepier than anything. When it's like I don't know who can save like the woman. Like 
I'm gonna have we're gonna have to go there. Like that's that's all the only choice we have. And then then you start to see why it's like this weird town. Like and you said it best, and I'm glad you said this in message. Um, it does feel like Resident Evil Four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's weird is this is I think this yeah Resident Evil Four came out years later yeah didn't it? yeah because this came out in 2001 i remember playing resident evil 4 when i was in college and i graduated right. college 2006 okay so it's probably like while we're, while we're talking i'm gonna look it up but that's the thing like i wonder if this is like a film that for some reason they were like you know someone was watching going you know what that's a cool setting like wouldn't that be cool for a zombie story yeah because it, it i mean and even the movie in, in some parts feels a lot like a zombie film, not just in the sense of like, oh, there's this seemingly abandoned town until, you know, you start making noise and they start coming out of the woodwork, but the people kind of like shambling through the alleyways, like kind of oh. walk very much like, you know, they do in, in zombie movies. Yeah. And and yeah, just the fact that it, it's this small little largely uninhabited town with uh with like a, a foreign language like Spanish speaking citizenry that is uh adherent to some cultish religion and then are sometimes have like physical monstrosities inside of them you see that in resident evil 4 like so much and just like how it gradually unfolds and even there's i believe there's a sequence in resident evil 4 where there's like a huge lake monster that you're trying to kill with this like a harpoon or a spear when you're on this like little rinky dink boat and yeah i just wonder how much which of those which of those like the creative team saw this movie and like well we're, we're borrowing from this this is really cool we like this no, because it's it's the aesthetic and like yeah, it, it's a straight up like, and that's kind of like what I like and also what I kind of like dislike about the film. It's like all the townspeople for the most part are just shambling, no words, just monsters. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so this town's been there for how many years? And you know what I mean? From the mm-hmm. outside, it looks like it's good, but of course you go into the town, but then there's the one drunk that's still not one of them <laughs> yeah that has survived since childhood uh, yeah 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 like you know what i mean like that's little weird stuff like that go does that make sense and that's like a, and a funny it, it's so weird because when you said resident evil 4 and then the whole, when i was watching it earlier watching the movie felt like a video game movie mm-hmm. because whenever paul played by ezra godden he's walking around the town and then like he finds something like her lighter. Where is she? Oh yeah, you're right. Like you know when he meets the drunk and like quiet and like tell mm-hmm. me more. Yeah. And here's the here's the flashback. Oh, that's why this town is like this. Yeah, you're Let right. Me, like it's a video game movie, which it's, is so weird. It's it's got survival uh, horror elements, especially in the sense of yeah. like uh, he doesn't have a gun, so he's got to keep no. his supplies. Like he's got to be smart with how he uses his supplies. Right. He uses like. You know the the driver. He's like beating him with his cell phone. His, yeah, his cell and phone. And then he has that stupid line. But you you could say that line because that yeah he's, oh. he, he's got the pen knife where he's got a he's got to like kind of move the lock from one door onto the yes. other door. Yeah. Right. No, there's this is definitely yeah this is definitely a video game movie I think and I, we just realized <laughs> this it's it's kind of crazy. Now talking about it, the more I think about it, I'm like when I was watching, I'm like, huh, it's weird. But and I think another reason why it feels like that is, um. I think this was is, is primarily, even though it was put out in, um, um, what do you call it, in Spanish um, theaters, mm-hmm. it feels like a TV movie. Yeah, it really does. Like the, the handheld cameras, which actually works for it, but it does feel like lower budget, which is fine. You know, like I said, I never have a problem with that. I think like, because I don't think it says 
really anywhere where the budget really was. No. It's just how much it got made. But it feels like that. It feels very like, like you said, you had seen it on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. And I think that was like a deal that maybe that was when the deal was made. But like, this is one of the films from um, Brian Usen's um, company, Fantastic Factory, mm-hmm. which he had formed to make Beyond Reanimator and a bunch of. I think Faust might have been part of that, and some other film. Like maybe four or five films were part of this, like this collective for that small amount of time, and then most of them went on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. Oh yeah, actually. When I look at all the films that were put out um, by the the Fantastic Factory label, okay, so you have Faust, Love of the Damned, Brian Usna, mm-hmm. Ara- Arachnid, two thousand one, from Jack Shoulder, which Jack Shoulder made The Hidden, and Alone in the Dark. So I might have to check that one out. Dagon, uh, Darkness from J- J- uh, Jamu Balagueto, Beyond Reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'd see. I love when I said Beyond Reanimator. That's why <laughs> someone got sick. <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of other like Rottweiler. Rottweiler from Dry News, though. Okay, I guess he made a killer dog film. Uh, why not? I, I don't. The Nun and Beneath Still Waters. So, Brian Usna had the most that he made from these. Like he, I think one, two, three, four. Gordon made the one with Dagon. And he, and what's interesting when I'm looking at the names, besides Jack Shoulder, the other filmmakers are Spanish filmmakers. So we actually was doing films with, like, Spanish filmmakers that were... Actually, funny enough, I didn't realize um, the film... Oh, see, see, it's blowing my mind right now. I love this research. Um, um, Roma Santa, which I've never seen, but I've always seen the box for it. It's the guy who went on to create the Rec series. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. So Brian used the game of start. So that's cool. Like, okay, I might have to check that one out now. But Brian Usna is, like, Spain's Lloyd Kaufman, basically. Ah! <laughs> Well, that's you know that's a funny that's a funny way to say it. Maybe he is. That's a cool. Who knows? But... Hey, we'll we'll have to see in in Spain if they have like, you know, I don't know. Brian Usa, at least Brian Usa, even though he's a sh- like a fun shill, he's not as much of a shill as Mike Coffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. It's, it's hard. It's hard to to get to that level, of course. But True. Uh, yeah, but so this is um, with the exception of uh, Stuart Gordon's. Dreams in the Witch House, Masters of Horror episode. This is the last time Gordon would work on a Lovecraft property. Um, and it is chock full of Easter eggs, including uh, we have a character named Howard that is obviously named after uh, Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Paul's Miskatonic University sweater, which I actually kind of dig and wonder if that's something that one can buy. Um, the uh, And the town uh, in Boca or Imboca, I mean, Boca in Spanish translates to mouth. So technically the town is in, in mouth, in Smith, which yeah. I, I, that's kind of clever. I, yeah. I, I kind of get on board with that. But no, that, that's good. It's it, 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 it's a, it's a clever way to bring that name about, like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to about, instead of someone saying like, get it in mouth, you know, like, you know, they, they <laughs> yeah. just say Imboca and like, you have to know yeah. that. If you don't know that. You won't even think about it, but if you do, you go, oh, okay, that's cool. This obviously taking place like 15 years after From Beyond, there's a bit more of a reliance on spotty, questionable CGI. There's still some decent gore effects. I mean, the, the skinning oh. of Ezekiel's face was pretty Oof. was pretty cool, pretty hard to watch. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, even, like, the storm at the beginning, like, okay, well, that's not... Those are not real waves. That's, those aren't real clouds, and when... The, I, I forget the the woman's name, but his his little eventual mermaid queen when he pulls the covers off and like it's her her tentacles like, okay. No, but 
But no, what what was cool though, when it's the tentacles when she's in the bed, those are practical oh, tentacles. Yeah, yeah, those yeah, those are real. But it's whenever she's like like traveling. Yeah. It like like especially at the end when we'll get to, but like she's it's like sliding. It it looks like it it makes me go like you could have like I don't know, when I I just recently watched something like Jason and the Argonauts and I'm like, come on, you could have had someone do Ray Harryhausen style. It could have looked cheesy, but at least it would look better in a way, like, because it would have been, like, physical, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to this weird-looking, like, video game cutscene. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from some of that stuff, like, th- this, I-, I mentioned this in the Reanimator episode, I mentioned this in the From Beyond episode, Dagon kind of typifies my complaint with Stuart Gordon mm-hmm. as a director in the sense of, like, the mixing of tone really doesn't work for me in this one, especially how... We were talking about this um, offline. Ezra Godden, who plays the character of Paul, said he modeled his performance after Harold Lloyd. Cool. I love Harold Lloyd. He's a comedian. He's a physical comedian. You you don't you don't need your character in yeah. the center of this to be modeled after a physical comedian. It doesn't make any sense. I'm still confused. Even like I, like we we joked about earlier. I'm like even as like when I was working at Blockbuster and this was a film that had just come out. I got the videotape. To watch and I'm like, why is he Harold Lloyd? And then my brother's like, because we'd watch like silent comedies, and he's like, yeah, you're right. What the hell is going on? I'm like, I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird choice. I mean, I don't mind him. Like, I think Ezra Gunn is like a likable guy mm-hmm. to an extent, but it's just very weird. A weird choice. Like, like really, that's what you're going for. And then Stuart Gordon was okay with that. It's it's really strange because like it's yeah, it, it makes it hard for me to invest in the stakes or even even the right. terror of this movie like i mean there, there's some weird things here and there like his uh you know rumo pleaso like okay fucking racist but then what yeah he, he's an idiot like like you go okay he's a fucking dummy like yeah. that would, and, and yet for some reason that works but then there's also like you know when he fights off the driver he kicks the driver in the balls and yeah. he, which which is fine enough he kicks him in the balls and I was laughing because, like, when you had mentioned that in the notes, and I'm, like, laughing. And then I forgot the fucking... Yeah. Oh, the... I, and then he beats the guy with his cell phone, and he's like, I gotta get a bigger cell phone. Which, from, like, what, I, from what I understand, is based on something that actually happened with Brian Yuzna, but doesn't work here. And, and like, and there's even uh, one of the guilty, or one of the biggest sins of it is... is yeah. The sequence when he's trying to screw the, the lock into the door to stop the people from breaking into his room... Right, right. He drops the screw, and there's this sequence where he's like on the ground looking for it, and kind of has this like oh moment when he finds it, and just like why, why do we need this comedic intervention in the middle of what should be a very tense really? sequence? Right, because it, it, the, the scene was actually working well with the them banging on the door. Actually, yeah. then again, there's another thing with the the kind of comedy where he's like, anyone there? Yeah, and then they start the- knocking again. <laughs> you, you would just like, come on, dude. Like, what's going on? Like, yeah. your girlfriend's gone, probably dead. Like your friends are dead or whatever, and you're doing like a pratfalls and look. He looks outside, yes. sees a horde of people coming for him. Right, right. They're storming <laughs> up the stairs. They're banging on the door, and he says, "Can I help you? Can I help you?" Ah. And it makes it hard for me to kind of get to know who this kind of character is because the opening scene makes it seem like he's a really uncaring, like stock investor dot com kind of guy. Right, yeah, something with his stock, like he's waiting for it, and then she throws a computer in the ocean, which yeah, 
I'd be really pissed off about that. Like, come well, on. I mean, yeah, so it's like, I guess his journey is supposed to be from this unlikable guy who can't really go. He doesn't, he's, he's only fascinated about, or he's only focused on the money. He's not focused on the experience and the people who are around him. And then he eventually becomes mm. this, you know, badass, of course. But it, it's just like, he's, he's so goofy and goofiness doesn't, for me, it doesn't, it it doesn't have a place in a story in which the character arc is going from um, oblivious young student to realizing, oh shit, this is my lineage. Right. Uh, I am part of this horrific curse. Like it, it doesn't fit to me at all. It it doesn't fit because like the whole idea is that you know he's from there. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. His mother, like the whole thing. We have we have different mothers with the same father. Okay. Yeah. So Dagon came up to impregnate two women. <laughs> sure. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Yeah, but it's just weird. Like, so why would like, like, so was it? I mean, I'm guessing it's alluded to that that the mother escaped, like, got away from there. I mean, because what it sounds like is, remember, the mother never wanted to teach him Spanish. Yeah. Never wanted him to learn that stuff and to go back. Then that kind of makes sense. Like, she saw the horror and got away. So with this, you know, basically evil you could say almost like quote unquote like an antichrist type character like mm. him and and but the thing is what's what's creepy was when i first watched it i noticed it and then watching it over and over, you know a few times over the years and then now we'll go it's really creepy that the sister wants to impregnate with her brother yeah like they, she wants to get with him like their brother and sister half brother and sister but come on well like, and, and not just that but <laughs> the revelation at the end is that they're both children of this of- yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, th- this uh, this descendant who is like the grandfather of the guy that first brought Dagon to the village, who right. is who is himself this old decrepit thing, which is evolving into a a, a person that is meant to live in the sea. Right. So okay, fine. Let let's accept that. One of his offspring is half woman and then half tentacles. Half. His other offspring, just a regular guy. Dude, but it's weird. It's like. So you uh, like, and that's my whole thing with it. Is it because the town is so like contorted because of of the beings and stuff of the the deep one? Yeah, I, it, 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 we're thinking more into it than we should. But sure, again, it's one of those things where, like, as as fans of Lovecraft and as fans of just like certain types of horror, you you not that I need an ex, I don't need someone to go here. This is why, but it's kind of weird that like he lived a normal life. For like thir- you know thirty something years, and then now he's become only after he burns himself and goes into the water, yeah, and becomes like he has the gills and the and which is weird. But the only clever thing I'll say about the Ezra Godin's Paul before, if you look when he had his shirt off, he had like weird like kind of scars, okay, on the side of on his side, which is where they open up. But like you said. So is he going to become a tentacle being, or is he just, I'm just swimming with my chucks on? Yeah, it's... It, I, well, and because in, in, in the the implication <laughs> in the story is that there was, whether our protagonist was aware of it or not, there was something that kind of drew him back to the town of Innsmouth, in which he discovers his lineage, and then at the end he's right. sort of like, I'm, I'm transforming too. And it's kind of this horrific acceptance of, this is what's going to happen to me. Which then he chooses to kill himself. Yeah, it, because of that, which I kind of appreciate. Like, I can't live like this. But then, like, we're going into the ending. So, if you, you know, hopefully you've seen this. But like, that's something I really wanted to talk to you about. Where he hates it, he doesn't want to be it. He burns himself. He's he's willing to die. Then she, you know, she drags him in, 
and then he's underwater, all burnt, like his hair. You know, he's all messed up looking. But then the water brings him <laughs> to life. To and then he's okay with it. Yeah, cool. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go into the eye. Let's go meet dad. Yeah, like, <laughs> like it's very odd. Like it's almost like it's. Like, and again, it, it it feels like maybe there was supposed to be a little bit more, and they just couldn't film it because it just seemed like too easy of an acceptance. Like, oh, I guess I am, even though I knew I was. And I wanted to kill myself because of it. We go from literally like, setting himself on fire to kill himself yeah. to accepting his fate in less than a minute. Like, it's a flick of a switch. It's like that. And you're like, and then it's like, it shows the big Dagon yeah. eye with her going into, and then it ends. And you're like, okay, I guess he's cool with it now. That I mean, it's like a weird zombie film, <laughs> like fish, fish zombies. But like, all the other fish zombie people are like, monsters like they're they're disgusting looking mm -hmm. the daughter is like beautiful except for the tentacles you could say and then he's like normal looking dude that has just some yeah he's burnt himself now but before he would just have some gill, gills opening up on his side not too bad like they got the the, the great the, the you know the great part of being a fish person i don't know it, it's stuff like that that's always weird to me it's like <clears throat> you know i understand she has to be the beautiful one to like tempt him yeah to seduce you know? him yeah but, but it's his sister, so it's like, okay, you've lost me already. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be honest with you, that, that didn't even occur to me, but yeah, you're, you're clearly right about that. Um, yeah, no, it's something that, even when I first watched it, I, it was in the back of my head going, wait, isn't that supposed to be? No, like, maybe not, but then I'm like, no, that is, oh my god, like, what the hell? Which also, if Paul and, I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the character's name, um, the, but the, the mermaid woman, it's it's spelled oh. U-X-I-A. Um, like Shusha, Susha, like yeah. something. But yeah. If if it's supposed to be their mating, which fulfills this prophecy, right? Yeah. Why is it necessary then that Dagon impregnates Vicky and Barbara? That no, thank you. Right, right. Because the whole thing with Paul is like, and he's trying to be a hero. He's like, let Barbara go. I'll stay, but yeah. let her go. Well, she can't because she's got to be impregnated by like. Why? But, but why? Yeah, it's it's very it's it's very strange, and this is some of the additions that that I think don't make sense. And even even when the film no. is faithful, it still does kind of a, a subpar job. Like th this is this film also typifies to me the 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 trouble with translating stuff that works on the page but doesn't work so well when you see it visually. So like Lovecraft describes the citizens as that as having like you know kind of decolored skin and like you know and webbed fingers and like and we kind of use our imagination but then when we see it it's like oh they just look like yeah like they look like rejects from romero's dead films because they're just covered in gray right. makeup and kind of shambling along right which i understand why because of you know you're not gonna put like even in like you said in romero's films he would have like a few better looking zombies in the front mm -hmm. and then all the other ones like you said are shambling gray a little bit but not because you can't afford to do every single person but this one it's like they're fish people, okay, like, and some are, like, no legs that are just crawling around on, like, a skateboard. <laughs> or, like, the one with a cane because one of his, like, that's the thing. They've chosen is fine, but, like, they all hide during the day and they come out at night. Mm -hmm. And they let this one drunk guy just chill. <laughs> eh, he's drunk. <laughs> they let this guy live for 65 years and then they kill him. <laughs> like, oh, he really does know what's going on. Let's kill him. Like, it's very weird. Like it, And again, it feels like a video game where this guy's been there for so long, he's the guy to help you with some information and, like, to 
gets to the next stage, and then he gets killed. Yeah, and <laughs> the way the way that I that I made sense of it in my mind, and perhaps this is giving the story too much grace, is that <laughs> because he's been just like an he's just like a drunk kind of crazy guy. They think like, well, why would we want him in the master race? We'll kind of let him oh, go and then kill him. Yeah, but they had yeah, like let's say sixty five years to kill this guy. Right, and like. They kill Howard like nothing. They put him in a tannery. Yeah, immediately. Strip, strip of skin. Yeah, immediately. Him, right away. Kill him. Kill him. Yeah. Let, let's impregnate the women. You know. And sure, it it might be nitpicking, but I feel like some little details kind of do betray sort of the truth of the story. So, for instance, like I said, in in the story Shadow of Innsmouth, the character is kind of drawn there because it's you know that's his lineage. Right. Here. They're just kind of there by mistake, like they're vacationing there, but you'd, it'd be different if, here's a, a little twist, they're boating just in the middle of the ocean, huge storm, he gets knocked out, and he washes up on the shore of this place. And it just so happens to be where, I yeah. know, it's very weird, because like, they're right nearby, mm. and like, he's having <laughs> these he's having these nightmares for a while, these nightmares, these dreams, whatever, mm. that the, the sister's also having, that's, they're connected, fine, I could, that's fine, in horror and anything like that. They're connected like brave, you know, wavelengths, whatever. But like you said, they just so happen to be with their two friends. Who, you know, guy Howard owns the boat. Yeah, Howard and, and right, and they just so happen to be like less than a mile away from the town that he supposedly grew up in, that he knew nothing about. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's that's they so. got they got works in mysterious ways. <laughs> The yeah. water, that's what it was. The, he moved the waves, the CGI waves, to push him. And just so happened that a storm was coming. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose so. And, I mean, <laughs> while we're being nitpicky, um, the central deity of this film is Dagon, <clears throat> yet we have a lot of constant chants of Cthulhu Photogen. And, yeah. And I get it. It, it. That's stuff that exists in the text, but it's almost sort of like if you had a movie called Poseidon and everybody keeps praying to Zeus, it's like, no, they're they're too... They're two different right. things. Like, just because they're related doesn't mean it's the same thing. Um, right. Actually, it's funny you mentioned Zeus and, and, and Poseidon. Like, hell, even Jason and the Argonauts gets it right where <laughs> Zeus is, like, you know, looking down. Hera's trying to help. And Poseidon's there to kind of fuck around a little bit. But that's it. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, okay. But ultimately, the main god is Zeus. And you're like, okay, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But it's it, it almost feels like they just threw that in there for Lovecraft fans. Like, oh, Oh, get it. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Because textually, Dagon only really exists in the short story. Like, there are references to it, but it wasn't until after Lovecraft died and other authors kind of started expanding on the mythos in which Dagon becomes right. more of a character. But, um, and then again, Dagon, isn't Dagon actually, a, not a real, but in mythos, and in, in, in religion, a, a, a deity that's existed before, like yeah. back in the, yeah. So that's an interesting take that Lovecraft took, like, a known, like, god. Yeah. Yeah, Dagon is, I believe, actually mentioned in the Bible, because uh, it, right. he, it, was, it was a deity that was worshipped, I think, in Babylonia? Um, or Babylon, but I, I could be I Something could be like wrong that. about that. But... I, oh, you know what? Like, oh, yeah, no, the Sumerian god. That's... What, yeah. Dagon. Sumerian. <laughs> right, you know, Sumerian, you know, isn't that weird? Like, the, oh, Sumerian, yeah, we could do the Necronomicon from there. Dagon, yeah, that's Gozer. All, it all ties together. Gozer, <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything's connected somehow. Um, oh but once again, I'll, I'll quote, a, and, and this is from the AV Club's uh, Scott Tobias wrote a, a review of the Dagon DVD that, once again, pretty much encapsulates my thoughts. 
Dagon's first half, especially, makes the village's past and present come alive through a creepy, suggestive gothic ambience, occasionally punctuated by well-placed jolts of violence. Once all the twists are revealed, however, Dagon settles for a rote finale, losing some of its distinctive flavor to ritualized nudity and gore. And, yeah, I mean, it's that thing of like, oh, we've created three female characters which didn't exist in the text, except they're basically just used for titillation and vessels for the Ark of Paul. and. Once again, even though it's not in the traditional, not traditional, in the sense that we've become used to, Vicky and Barbara are, in so many words, raped by Dagon. Yeah, right, yeah. It's ultimately, that's what they're there for, to be the vessels for new children. Yeah, including the, the scene that I actually found to be one of the most horrific was when they're trying to convince Vicky that she had just had, like, a drug-based delusion. Like, no, you weren't raped. This was probably just something that happened when you were drugged because you were injured. And it was like, oh my god, this is horrible. Yeah, like, and it's sad because that's something that is sadly done to a lot of women. Oh no, you were just drunk. You don't remember. <sighs> yeah, it, that's it, what it sounds like, right? Like, you're like, oh, you just had a, you partied too hard. You don't. That didn't really happen. No, that no, you're you're right, and that that uh, comparison Ugh. didn't even occur to me. Now it's I feel I feel dirty. Yeah. Um, I, I sadly thought of that when I read that. I'm like, should I bring it up yet? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> not and, good. Not good. And, but then even even larger than that, my. The thing that made me most uncomfortable about this film, I, I have complaints yeah. about the mixture of tone. I have complaints about what they did with the women character, but the one that mm-hmm. I that I don't know how to really deal with it was it intentional or, or unintentional by setting the location in a foreign country, um, yeah. which I, I have to, I, which was probably due to budget. That's where they could get it made. Maybe there weren't any American investors interested, right? But by doing that, by making this American guy coming into this foreign land that has been tainted and decrepit and given up its soul, it sort of plays into the xenophobia that's inherent in Lovecraft work in the sense of the implication that's being given off is that it's the foreigners who are tainted and they're trying to taint this Caucasian guy as well. No, you're right. That's a good way to look at it. It's kind of... It's almost, in a weird, messed up way, almost too faithful to Lovecraft's beliefs. Yeah, like, it it, it, it sort of you know? plays into that because the idea behind The Shadow of Innsmouth, too, is, is how it's some of these dignified American families who have fallen so far under... Because Innsmouth is... Shadow of Innsmouth is actually kind of quite explicit about how it's... I think they mentioned kind of... Portuguese fishermen sort of coming in and sort of introducing this idea like the the guy who introduces the esoteric order of Dagon is a foreigner right and so you do get the sense of this foreign influence corrupting this pure white American society yeah this sort of this sort of plays into that and I kind of halfway through was like oh god like this is kind of playing that up and I I want to hope and assume that wasn't intentional but that's what the film implies yeah, I mean, that's more of, like, I think, like, the screenplay, like, Dennis Pioli. Like, I think he was going for the ideas of, like, like you know, where it's an outside, either either outside source being the corrupter or the outside source being the one being corrupted. And, yes, that works. But at the same time, when you look at it from the author who was writing this, it wasn't the most pleasant of thoughts of, like, oh, the outsiders are evil because... They're dark skinned. They're from a different country. They're, you know what I mean? All these different things. You know, like, then it starts to make it actually like, ooh, no. That's, that's why, like, I mean, without saying too much, but like, Dagon tends to be like 
my least favorite of of his adaptations. Yeah. Like like out of the the you know what is it one four movies and his Masters of Horror episode. I actually prefer, I think the Master of Horror episode with Ezra Godin again yeah. works so much better in an hour. Like mm-hmm. like it has a good story, you know, it's this Dreams of the Witch House and this and like, you know, the special effects, you know, like the the, the rat face guy looks kind of funny, but at the same time it's creepy, you know, like like a rat with a person's face. That is creepy. But yeah, this one's always lower because one that like not because it looks like a TV movie, but because there's something about it that doesn't it doesn't flow as well as his other film. Like even Castle Freak, which, you know, I like, but it's not the greatest, but it it just it ends it, you know, it ends up being like, you know, beginning, middle end, you're like, okay, it's where the story begins, the description of the creature, you see the creature, the creature starts killing, people trying to kill the creature, the end. This is weird, like where like you, it, it's all it all happens like oh it just so happens that he's here oh it just so happens that he finds this oh it just so happens it's all like perchance like oh he just so happened to be in the right place at the right time oh the villains are coming oh like but luckily she's in the one room that he finds you know what I mean? it's like and I understand they're connected but it's just really there's no growth by the character like really I mean yeah he becomes like you said quote unquote more badass but. Ultimately, like he has nothing to live for, and he just he decides to kill himself. Like, well, and, and because yeah. like I, I guess sure he becomes a badass, but I still I couldn't I couldn't tell you anything about this guy other than no, the not at all. Yeah, like and and yeah, structurally, especially the the the, I guess the first half of the movie feels a lot like go to a place, try and escape from these creatures, get to another place, try and escape from these. Like it, it just it, yeah. there's there's no momentum. It's just kind of moving laterally instead of kind of progressing somewhere again like and i think we're, we'll be we're the first to say this but i i really think it's like a video game movie like it it feels like that where you're just going from level to level mm-hmm. and like you and every so often you get a little upgrade but not too much of an upgrade and like <laughs> until the end and you have to choose like where do you go do you go but ultimately it doesn't matter what you choose because you're going to end up being with the the you know underwater anyway like mm-hmm. like he burns himself you could have ended the day like, oh my God, he defied, mm-hmm. you know, his 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 faith. He defied it. He said no, no. But it just ends up being like, it doesn't matter because I'm gonna take you in the water and you're cool now, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, or pour all the gasoline over himself, but he but they stop him right before he burns himself because they start to pull him in and reason with him. But yeah, something. Th- yeah, yeah. To have the fact that go from like suicide to oh no, hey dad, it, it's it's. It's real quick, and it doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. No, it doesn't. It's not just you. I think it's a lot of... If people look into it more, it's it's blatant. It's just there. Boom. Easy resolution. Largely a pretty faithful adaptation, but an example of, hey, just because you have a good adaptation doesn't necessarily mean you have a good, good film. film. And it's funny, you, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned in the last episode um, that idea of like mm-hmm. your girlfriend saying something to like, yeah, this is, this is kind of weird. Um, my <laughs> wife was watching it with me, and by watching, I mean she was, you know, doing some other stuff while I was while I had it on. And in yeah. this in the sequence <laughs> when Ezekiel gets skinned alive and Barbara is getting dragged off and screaming, she's like, "Why do you like Lovecraft again?" And I'm like, "No, but, I'm like, but this isn't him. This is what the filmmakers added to the." And it's it's sort of like that thing of if if you if you have any final words, say them now because I'm gearing up for I, I have a little rant that I have to. That I have to... Um, well, no, go for the rent. I mean, you know, final word is like, I, I basically said it. It's like, it's not the best. I mean, it's, to me, it's like, okay, 
it's an hour and a half that it's not i didn't feel like cheated i didn't go ugh, that was the worst film we've had worse films on this podcast and thankfully it was over pretty quick like it's 95 right. minutes i think 95 goes and if anyone wants to watch like it's funny actually the joke i made with you was i was looking for the blu-ray i knew i had because i bought it from a fye going out of business so i got it for really cheap the okay. new Festron mm-hmm. blu-ray and i never watched it like on the blu-ray i was like, oh cool could not find it and then when Stuart gordon died my ex put up pictures of like stuff she has of Stuart Gordon, which one was the reanimator soundtrack on vinyl, which I did rebuy mm-hmm. last year. And then also she puts up the picture of Dagon and Blur. I'm like, there it is. <laughs> I ain't getting that one back. Nope. Because I'm not going to ask for that back. Oh, give me Dagon back. No, fuck no, that. No, you're not. But No, but I don't care. It's not a big deal. I'll, I'll me, because I'm a, sadly, um, I'm too much of a completionist with <laughs> like films and like just the aesthetic. I'm going to have to get it because I have, you know, everything else, like Blu-rays, sure. like the special edition. So I'm like, got to get that one. Mm-hmm. I don't have Castle Freak yet because that's a full moon one. And usually the full moon Blu-rays look like ass, but that's a whole other <laughs> But yeah, I, want, I wanted to get that away so you can go on your go on your rant. So listen, not I, I, I really hope this doesn't come across as like me speaking ill of the dead i have no problem with Stuart gordon as a person like we said kind of by all accounts he was a lovely guy a really hard worker um and just and did a lot not just for film and for genre but for the theater community as well um but i i kind of have a bit of a problem or a little bit am a little bit annoyed by the fact that Stuart gordon kind of became the arbiter of cinematic lovecraft adaptation so like when you think of lovecraft movies Oh, immediately right it's away. it's reanimator or it's from beyond or it's dagon or whatever and it's right. sort of like i mean richard stanley sort of is is sort of working on this now so maybe the tide will change but it's sort of uh, the equivalency i almost kind of make is like listen if you want zombies on tv it's the walking dead or nothing and if you don't right. and if you don't like it that's all you get tough shit or when it comes to major network stuff it's ryan murphy it's uh scream queens it's um american horror story Right. And I don't like any of those things, but that's all the horror TV we're going to get because there's only so much, there, there's only room for so much of it. Of course. And Stuart Gordon, not a bad filmmaker. It, it's sort of how we kind of talked about, like, I don't have a problem with the French New Wave, but I do have a problem with some of the fans of the French New Wave or what it inspired. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of think that there is this author who is, yes, was a troublesome person, and some of that trouble exists within the text of of what he wrote, but was really unmatched when it came to a certain kind of horror. And you're not seeing that accurately represented in the mainstream, but, like, that's mostly all we get. And I really... And that really kind of bugs me that it's, like, when it comes to Lovecraft and, and cinema, it's Stuart Gordon, like, by far... And then maybe some other titles here and there. Like, I'm happy that we discovered uh, Juan Vu's The Color Out of Space. Right. And, you know, uh, we, we had we had some problems with... Um, why am I blanking on the name of the uh, the Harry, the uh, Dean Stockwell film that we watched? Oh, oh, um, 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 The Dumb Witch Heart. Yeah, uh, but, you know, but there's still some, like, cool gems out there to kind of discover. But it's right. really, for the most part, it's like the readily available stuff is Stuart Gordon's stuff. Do you think that's his... Like, do you think that's his fault? Because... He got lumped into that, I think, like because he was a Lovecraft fan, and I think because he found someone that wanted to like help him produce it. Because mm-hmm. remember, Reanimator is his first film; like he was just theater yeah. before, mm-hmm. and then it did so well that like 
let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'd like Stuart Gordon's like, well, there's other stories we could. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. From Beyond gets made. You know, yeah. it's a weird thing because like I don't think he like ultimately wanted to be that like the the king of like Lovecraft adaptation, but he just so happened to make the most in like kind of a short amount of like twenty years span. He made five adaptations of varying stories and varying degrees but i it, i i agree with you like i and i love Stuart gun i think like he's one of my like probably top 20 filmmakers like just of the weirdness that he did like he everything from horror to kids to like space movies to robots to very underrated movie king of the ants which is also very dark mm-hmm. and like creepy. like i think that's actually almost like a great film that gets like forgotten but I don't think he like. I think he he's a theater guy who then just so happened to go. Let me make films and kind of stuck with the theater mentality, mm-hmm. which kind of works and sometimes doesn't work. Like, let's experiment, experimental. So let's experiment with the comedy. Let's experiment with the uh, the weird factor, the gore factor. Because from all accounts, from what I gather, like he wasn't the biggest gore fan. Right. Yeah. Like he wasn't really a gore fan. He wasn't like, oh yeah, get more gore. But just sometimes like, well, my. Okay, if the scene calls for more blood, put more blood, more intestines. I'll always look at like Stuart Gordon's stuff at least above some other people because a lot of people with Lovecraft, and we've talked about this. Let's have tentacles everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Crazy tentacles. It's Lovecraft. Okay, no, it's not. But if that's what you want to think, fine. But ultimately, I think he he got lumped into it. It's like how a lot of filmmakers years later don't want to be known as quote-unquote a horror director yeah even though 95 percent of the stuff they do is horror mm-hmm. so i mean if most of the stuff someone does is action i would think they're an action director no i'm just a director i just so happen to make action films yeah and that's I kind of feel like gordon just so happened to find that lovecraft worked for him in a way that maybe other writers didn't i mean hell the year the same year he made from beyond in italy he made the other movie dolls the same time the same time, and then he re- released that one a year later. But he was making two films at once, which is mind blowing to me because they're completely different films, completely. And you raise you raise an interesting question. I mean, is it as simple as is it his fault or not? But it certainly is that idea of he he scored big on something, and so right. I I can't fault the guy either. Where if he loved Lovecraft and like wanted to adapt more of his stuff, he had an opportunity and he took it, and that you know that's right. that's the opportunity we would all love to see. Um, and and I do kind of wonder how much of it may have been, like, I know after a while, I, I remember, I'll preface this by saying, John Landis, I think once mm-hmm. he made the Twilight Zone movie, should have been barred from making movies for the rest of his life. But That's the whole, yeah, that's the whole, yeah. yeah but yeah. I, I remember seeing the 30th anniversary screening of American Werewolf in London at the uh, uh, Walter Reed Theater, mm-hmm. like, years ago, and I asked during the Q&A, why don't you make more horror movies? It's clearly something you love doing. And he was like, well, I've made so much money making comedies that no one will give me money to do anything except a comedy now. And it might be that thing, yeah. like, after a while, was he like, hey, I want to make this. And like, um, uh, uh, how about instead you, you try something out? Like, could he only, you know, in 2001, did he want to make Dagon or was that like, or Dennis Paley wrote a script and, the, and they're like, right. hey, we, we can make this in Spain. And he's like, okay, you know, I, I like making movies. I'll do that. But was that something he really wanted to do? I'll, I'll You know what it is? I'll liken it to... Romero, how Romero is just known as zombie guy, mm-hmm. the dead films. He made other films. We know that. But <clears throat> most people like every, and he talked about this later on in his life before he passed away. The last like few films he made, 
were other dead films that weren't as good, but they were only films that people would give him money for. Yeah. Because they're like, nobody wants anything else. He was working on so many other things that never got the light of day because, is it a zombie film? No. Well, we're going to have to pass, George. Yeah. And, and, and almost like you could tell, he had such a love for just making films that he would just do it because he just wanted to make them. And even if it wasn't the best, I was just glad he was making films. Same thing with Stuart Gordon. Like, I think it was one of those things. Like you said, the money was there. Okay, well, I can either make this film, which I'm kind of like happy about, or I can like sit on these three screenplays for the next 10 years and never make a film again. I'll choose the, the first, you know, I'll choose, I'll make a film for the next three months. Right. You know? and, and yeah, because it's, when when Masters of Horror came along, Mick Garris was very excited about that because like we, we'll do whatever we want to do, and he chose to yeah. do Dreams in the Witch House as one of the first things, right? Which you know, and I, I'm I'm glad he did because that was kind of a, I think ultimately that was him. One, he wanted to make that story, and two, how do you get Masters of Horror out there? Mm-hmm. Oh, Stuart Gordon's making another Lovecraft adaptation. Oh shit, okay. I remember that's how I was. I'm like, oh cool, I'm gonna have to watch that episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it was like I'm excited for that, but then. I, per- I personally, I love that one, but I like his other one, the one he made about Poe. You know, basically it's Jeffrey Combs as Edgar Allan Poe. And I think that's a really good adaptation, you know, a good little story with him just going crazy, you know. Right. And, and, but I do wonder, like, by the time, like, Edmund came around or stuck, right. was it like, yes. was this like, hey, finally I got the money to do this, like, it, it's not a lot, but here's something that I can do that I've wanted to do for a while. Edmund, as you said, it was him and working with David Mamet, and they were very good friends. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, again, and, like, same thing with George Romero. Like, he would do the dead films, then he would make something like Martin. He would do the dead films, then he would make Knight Riders. <laughs> yeah. Like, he would, later on, he made, to me, around the same time, I think that, um, like, maybe a few years removed, but when Gordon made, like, Edmund or, like, you know, stuff like that, um, he and King of the Ants, he made something called Bruiser. Which is actually a very underrated film by Romero, like very underrated. It's a it's a we it's a weird one. I haven't weird. seen it in a long time. Yeah, right. With um, what's his name? That that one I think Irish actor or British actor, the one that was in um. The, I'll, I'll mention the bad film he was in, but he was good at it. Um, League of Extraordinary yeah, Gentlemen. He, he was he, he was Doctor Jekyll. Yeah, yeah. That actor's great, and he's really good in that film. It's like, and it's a creepy film, and you're like, oh, this is Romero. Wow, I remember watching, going, wow, this is really good. Never came out. On, never came out on Blu-ray here. Like, likely the only film you'll ever see in which the climax takes place at a Misfits concert. Yes, that was <laughs> a weird. No, dude, that was a weird time because I remember watching that film, and the, the Misfits then were in another film that I watched, like another like low budget horror film called like I think it was called like Godflesh or something weird. And I'm like, the Misfits again? What the hell? Like this one year they were in like three films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we're, we're the Misfits, but it was but it wasn't Dancing Misfits, so uh, you know. no, of course, yeah. <laughs> but I agree with you. I mean, I and I kind of hate that Gordon's just known as Mister Lovecraft because I don't think he would want to be known as that. I think he would want to be known as a filmmaker and a you know a guy, the purveyor of the arts and theater, and just did a lot of films. And just so happened that Lovecraft was where he got to repeat, almost like repeat success. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's making another Lovecraft film. Yeah, Dagon, like I said, if I was to give it like one to five stars, I'd give it like two, two and a half stars if I was going to be like, gen- you know, generous, but probably two. But I'd watch I'd watch it again with people if they wanted to check it out. But I wouldn't say the same about a lot of other the ones we watched, you know. I, I think I think one and a half stars for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but so it, we're close. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I think my my wish isn't that like oh can people stop paying attention to Stuart Gordon. My right. my wish is more that I wish other filmmakers would take up the work of H.P. Lovecraft because I think yeah. he's written so much stuff and there's so much there and I I, I got to be honest I I know I wasn't super thrilled about. Stanley's the color out of space, but I got to say, the more space uh, I get from it, the more I'm like, I kind of want to watch that again. Right? No, it's no, it's it's kind of the way I feel. Like I and I liked it more than you, but it's weird because like the more I'm away from it, the more I'm like, man, I really want to watch it again. Like, and it's funny because my girlfriend's the same. Like, oh yeah, she's like, I really like that one. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. So like, anything going forward with like Stanley, I'm kind of excited. Maybe he'll take the mantle of this new era of like Lovecraft adaptations where they're a little more of a budget and an actual, like, auteur behind them as opposed to, like, somebody's straight-to-video, cheapy, like, oh, I got a tentacle, like, arm. Okay, yeah, let's make a Lovecraft movie. We don't need Lee Scott making any more Lovecraft adaptations. Please, but... no. Please, please, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. But, I mean, since there is such a, a resurgence, it may be a, a yeah. younger generation gets inspired, comes up, who who knows. But, it, I, I mean, and especially oh, with... Yeah. Where he's he's at his at his peak now. Lovecraft Country is coming out soon. Um, yeah. I still I still got to read that book, but I mean Stanley's coming. Me make, so it's uh it's and making new dumb much horror. I mean, I, who knows what the third one's going to be? I mean, and then m- maybe throughout all this, maybe because of the the heightened look again at this, maybe Del Toro make his at the Mountains of Madness. You never know. Oh, yeah, man. but I that I think that's that's the end yeah. of it for me. But certainly, um. Always easy to get a hold of us if you agree or disagree. Maybe you're a huge Stuart and Gordon fan. You want to put us in our place. Um, go ahead. Moviesofmadness at gmail.com. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is Fistful of Media. We are both Cast Cthulhu. As of right now, we don't know what we're going to be doing for May, but you know we've got plenty of time to figure it out. So I'd say stay tuned to our, our Twitter yeah. and Facebook feeds. Probably the Facebook feed. We're not as active on Twitter. I just I don't have the effort. I, nah, I mean, it's funny because like I have it on my app and I will do, and I'm like, uh, you know what it is? It's one of those things. Like, should I tweet that out? Is that important enough from for like ten people to read? <laughs> Usually, I just like link it to yeah. my main account, which gets a little more traction. Yeah, yeah. yeah t- the Facebook page gets more like notice. Tell tell all your friends about Cast of Cthulhu, both yes, the podcast please. and the Facebook page. We're we're good people. Yes, we are. So, but um. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming by the time this episode goes up, COVID-19 will still be a thing. So stay healthy, Please, stay safe, yeah. stay six feet away from people. I don't care uh, if they're friends of yours, if they're family members. We, we want to yeah. flatten the curve as quick as possible. We want to get back to normal as quick as we possibly can. And the only way that we can do that is if people are taking care of themselves and each other. Thanks, everyone. Uh, stay tuned uh, to what we'll be doing for May. Uh, but in the meantime, James and I will be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. Really, yeah.